Hey, Denver, I want to talk to you about real estate because I know how hard it is to live in this city. It's expensive, especially when we're talking about rent. My friend and her husband just moved out of state because it was more affordable for them and their four kids to leave Colorado. And that bummed me out. But moving away isn't the only answer. You can own a home here, and the How to Buy a Home podcast is here to help. The host, David Sedoni, is an industry expert with years of experience. I actually chatted with David recently, and it's pretty clear that he's not a realtor trying to sell you something. He's really just an expert trying to help you buy a home. And David knows how tough the market is here. One of his podcast's first success stories was from a young couple who were able to buy a home in Thornton. I think I used to drive to Thornton because they had a Sonic before Denver did. Find How to Buy a Home wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, Sonic on 104th. (laughs) Today on CityCast Denver. It's finally time to roll out the red carpet and raise the curtains because Denver Film Fest is back. And one documentary premiering on Saturday really caught my eye. It's called A Decent Home. It's about mobile home parks and specifically the tragic story of Denver Meadows, a community on the edge of Aurora that no longer exists. You'll see in the film, you'll see the kids who were playing, the dinners that people had in their homes, the, you know, meetings, the grandmother, you know, walking with her son on a, on a little bicycle trike. You know, I just, it was a place full of love. My guest today is the woman behind the camera, Sarah Terry. Today is Thursday, November 4th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Sarah Terry, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you so much, Bree. I'm happy to be here. Sarah, I, I have to be honest. I put off watching your documentary because I knew it would upset me. <laughs> and it did. I cried through half of it. And the other half, I was white, hot, rage, angry. Um, mm-hmm. How did you feel stepping into this topic? Well, I was angry. Um, I, I don't, uh, you know, I've been a journalist for years and and I get stories or found stories or proposed things of, you know, made films, um, you know, that involve things I'm interested in or care about. But I, I think this was the first time in my life that this was something that I really felt I had something that I wanted to say. And not and not that I wanted to preach, but I knew how engaged I was. I feel the wealth gap is the most pressing issue in the world today. I think it's what underlies all inequity. I think it drives, um, you know, climate change. I think, it, you know, inequity between the majority world and the minority world. I mean, it's just if we handled the wealth gap, um, then I think everything else would start to be solvable. So that's been my thing. And then I read a story about Mobile Home University which just put me, I literally mm. threw my feet down on the floor and oh was like, okay, that's it. And literally six weeks later, I was on the first shoot for the film. Now, if you go to the city, typically, let me, let me give you this tip. You can often cut a deal with them on the timing. It's always good for park owners when it comes to the cities to go to them hat in hand as though you have no money because everyone in America thinks park owners have no money. The parks are, are meaningless and tell them, look, I, I want to get this fixed. I can't afford to do them all at once. 
And so it, ca- it came from a space of being deeply concerned about who we're, we're becoming as Americans during this period of gross inequity. But it also primarily is driven by love. Mm. It, it, you know, I wanted to break stereotypes about the people who live in mobile home parks, about the ways we look at mobile home homes as, as an affordable housing option. I wanted to make you, and you might notice as I get, I love the feelings you went through because, oh yeah, I, you know, we were doing it. But those first 20 minutes um, of the film, I'm, I'm trying to make you fall in love with these people and these places. I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about those first 20 minutes um, because while I did have friends growing up who lived in mobile home parks, um, I didn't have a ton of memories of that. And mm. seeing the people in community living happily in neighborhoods, these are neighborhoods. I mean, I think that that's what was driven home for me in those first 20 minutes is you see a neighborhood. I love that. It happens to be mobile homes, but it it's still a neighborhood with streets and um, people commiserating in their yards. Um, and you do such a great job of capturing that. And and like you're saying, the wealth gap is at the crux of this yeah. story, yeah. right? It's people with immense wealth um, or the potential for immense wealth making it off the backs of people who are just trying to survive. Um, and But I want to – the reason that – part of this is so – it hits close to home because you talk to folks in Colorado, in um, Aurora in particular, and that's a big part of this documentary is you tell the story of a mobile home park in Aurora called Denver Meadows. Can you tell me about the first time you visited there and, and what you saw? Sure. I had actually learned about Denver Meadows from – a national nonprofit that works with parks, Rock USA. They had literally just received an email from a Colorado um, activist, Andrea Chiriboga Flor, and she was reaching out saying, "We're we're battling to save this mobile home park. You know, um, can you help us?" And so Rock USA put me in touch with her. And the very first time I saw the park, I was on a r- road trip and I just drove through it. It's a classic mobile home park. It was because mobile home parks started on the outskirts of towns because sadly, zoning people like city, city officials didn't want to have to see them. So they were put in the sticks mm. where nobody really bothered with them. And Denver Meadows was originally in the sticks. You can still see the creek and the meadow that's there. But what I saw as I came was the classic, you know, contemporary story about what's happening to so many parks. An interstate had been built right literally against one wall. And then across the street was the uh, medical campus, the $5 billion medical campus and the light rail line. So what you knew was happening was gentrification and um, changing zoning, um, you know, priorities. So I met a few people in that moment. I just sort of said, oh, hi, I'm interested in your story. And I spoke the little Spanish that I have. And then I came back and the next year, I think it was, or a few months later in 2017, and began filming um, the residents and the fight to save the park. A mobile home is not a second-class house. A mobile home is my home. It's where we put our energy, our family, our history, our everyday memories. 
they're people I just fell in love with, you know? They're fighters. They've become community organizers. They open their homes to me, like Hilda and Lalo, who you see in the film, mm. like fed me every time I walked in their door. They would leave and say, the door's unlocked. You can come in, you know, make yourself at home. And I'm really, really proud to say that Lalo is going to be catering a community dinner that we're holding after the premiere of the film. Vivíamos en el carro, en la troca. Nosotros queríamos un hogar. I'm bringing everybody on stage. There'll probably be 10 or, I don't know, 15 people from Aurora on that stage at, at the premiere on, on the 6th. So you, you were following the Denver Meadows story for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the documentary follows it as it's really unfolding what's happening with this mobile home park in Aurora. Can you tell that story just very briefly, like what was going on with Denver Meadows at the time? In some ways, Denver Meadows is a little different than the story of private equity firms buying up mobile home parks, which got me going, and investors buying them up. Because Denver Meadows was owned by a man named Sean Lustigman, who owns other mobile home parks. Um, He owns other ones in Colorado. But what I had learned was that he wanted a change of zoning so that he could sell the land. And he wanted the city of Aurora to change his zoning from a mobile home park zone to transit-oriented development, which makes the land of much higher value. The city had already zoned that area that way as the changes began happening with the um, medical campus, but the mobile home park was grandfathered out. So Sean Lester went to the city, he posted the two signs that he was required to post, and he put them in hidden places and where Spanish-speaking residents didn't know what was happening. That kicked it off. So there were signs that you have to post when you're looking at a potential rezoning of a property. Right. Which normally I see those in front of a house that someone owns, right? But what struck me was, A, he hid them, like you're saying. No. And B, he didn't even tell his residents. No. He didn't make an announcement. No, that story, the book that could be filled with the things that the park managers did to those residents, sneak, looking in their windows, cutting down their trees. I mean, finding them, you know, if somebody stayed with them for longer than two weeks, charging them more. But what began in that moment when Petra Bennett, who, um, and a few other people, Petra's in the film, saw the signs and realized what was happening, they rallied the community. And what happened almost immediately was that the because of the pushback, the zoning um, commission of the city tabled Sean's request. They said, oh, no, we're going to think about it. So that began like the three-year battle that included both sides. There were, the city had a, a, built a mobile home park advisory committee that looked into it. There's things I had to cut out of the film, right? That's three years versus an 87-minute film. Um, but so that's, they, they, they examined it, they looked at it, and then there began a series of Sean saying, the park is closing, the park is closing, the city failed to act on options they had. There's an offer made to buy the park from Sean, and it's not enough money for him, and it's an offer that's above it was above market value at that time. $20 million. So it's this very mixed-up pool of what a, what a private landowner wants to do with his land. Got to acknowledge that. And in the West, there's that very libertarian attitude about it's your land, especially in Colorado. It's your land. We can't tell you what to do with it. And the residents fighting... The city sort of negotiating, then the mayor negotiating behind closed doors with, and I want to tell you as a journalist, I was like, whoa, sunshine laws. How can you possibly do that behind closed doors? There was nobody in there, but like 
the mayor and Sean, sometimes a lawyer for the uh, residents. But if your listeners don't know this, you should know in the state of Colorado, the only government meeting that's exempt from sunshine laws, which means you can meet behind closed doors, it's zoning. And I thought that was so revelatory about Colorado as a state and the attitude about land. And um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your mouth is, I, people can't see you because we're in a podcast, but your mouth is hanging open. <laughs> I'm like, honestly, so I spent four years in urban planning in the middle mm. of my journalism career. It was sort of a, de- a lovely detour. I worked for, a, I actually worked for a wonderful company that taught me a lot. Um, and it's where I really learned uh, the power of zoning. Oh. In shaping of the city, but also in shaping of people's lives. And so to know that that is the kind of meeting that can go on behind closed doors is like mind-blowing to me. Um, And that kind of gets to my next question, which is it's very clear in your film, politics and real estate are inextricably intertwined. Mm -hmm. What, What did you learn from that, from the Denver Meadows story specifically, about how politics and real estate work? In my long history as a journalist, I've always been general assignment, so I learn. I know a lot about a little about a few things, but I do know, like you just pointed out, from your perspective as somebody who worked in urban planning, how critical zoning is and how it can make you millions. I mean, Sean stood to make millions of dollars with the rezoning of the mm. piece of property that is Denver Meadows. Interestingly, the land still hasn't sold, which is a heartbreak to me. But the city of Aurora. For many years, the city council in Aurora has had um, real estate developers on the city council. And, you you know, as Mayor Laguerre points out, I've I've been in real estate and he's proud of it. You know, he's not, there's nothing, it's not illegal to be in real estate. But when you have a, one of somebody else in the film points out at one point that the mayor also sits on a redevelopment board. And then you start realizing all those connections that can happen around it if you can change a zone make somebody millions who benefits and when you don't have a seat at that table when you're the residents of denver meadows when you're anybody who desperately needs affordable housing um you can see how decisions get made that are based on an on a power balance that um allison coombs in the film says i don't know allison is is now a city councilor in Aurora, she goes, I don't know of a time when our system wasn't made to benefit the the wealthy, you know, to make more money for the rich. And I, and I think that's an example, zoning in particular, is a way that that can happen. And we have to care about, about this because it's our story. It's the story of 99% of America. So... Coming back to the Denver Meadows story that you really profile in this, um, it's it's been reported on, so it wouldn't be a surprise if you haven't seen the film yet, but can you describe what's going on with the Denver Meadows uh, mobile home park now? Uh, I would encourage anybody listening to this to go drive past and look at it. You'll see in the film, you'll see the kids who were playing, the dinners that people had in their homes, the, you know, meetings, the grandmother, you know, walking with her son on a, on a little bicycle trike. You know, I just, it was a place full of love and full of hardworking people and who were so proud of the fact that they owned their homes and had a piece of security without realizing that the completely insecure piece of that security was the fact that they didn't own the land their homes were on. I'm, get, <laughs> I'm getting choked up about this. Um, Sorry. No, it's okay. I think um, 
what really came across to me is I've been privileged to have stable housing my entire life. Um, and my mother just sold her house of 40 years a couple years ago that I grew up in because um, she needed to downsize. And I can't imagine what it would feel like if I had to drive by that home and it was taken from her versus her having the choice. And if I had to watch it be boarded up and sit there vacant the way that Petra sees her home and her little fountain that she had built and the grass. I mean, you just, like you said, the first 20 minutes of the film, you see the beauty um, in a mobile home park and it's the people and the community like any other neighborhood. And our neighborhoods are under attack. What do we do? The scope of our problem is significant. We need people to speak up. I've never done anything like this before in my life. We don't want people to forget that we're here and what they're doing. We're not going to take that lying down. We're just not going to. And um, before I had named the film A Decent Home, it used to be called That's How We Roll. And I, 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 some people thought that that could be seen as like, oh, that's kind of funny and joking. I was like, okay, that, then I'm changing that title. But when we went back and looked at footage because um, we were just doing some final editing, I found the quote where Hilda says, I asked her, what do you want people to know about people who live in mobile homes? And she goes in this very beautiful soliloquy of like, well, that we're hardworking people, you know, and we work a lot. And then she said a line that I had missed the first time around. She says that we deserve a decent home. That's what I, you know, the Federal Housing Act of 1949 pledges a decent home home for every American. That law is still on the books today. And I'm just saying, you know, people, everyone, I mean, that's, that's a tagline in our, for us with the campaign. A decent home, everyone deserves one. The American dream and mobile home parks might be the only place where the candle is still lit. This land was made for you and me. Sarah Terry, thank you so much for joining me on CityCast Denver. Thank you for watching the film and caring and asking such good questions. Thank you. A Decent Home is screening three times at the Denver Film Festival. Once each Saturday and Sunday, and again on Thursday, November 11th. It's also available to stream online, but I really recommend going to the premiere this Saturday in person if you can because Sarah is hosting a convening all day leading up to the screening. There will be former residents of Denver Meadows, activists, and elected officials who have advocated for change. I'll put all the details you need to know in the show notes for this episode. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. We've got a lot of new listeners to the show, and that's awesome. Welcome. I'm so excited to spend the mornings with you. Make sure to join us on Fridays when me and the rest of the CCD crew get loose and talk about whatever Denver stuff is on our minds. For example, in everything I love about Denver is disappearing news, the Denver Diner, which has sat vacant and boarded up on the corner of Spear and Colfax for months, is officially becoming a chase bank. Because in 2021, we need more banks. Denverite reports that Chase will be open in late 2022. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be over here crying into a dream version of the mass confusion, a.k.a. Monica's idea, a.k.a. the greatest breakfast platter of all time that will never exist again. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Shout out to my BFF since 1997, Emily, a Colorado born and raised gal now living in Missouri who still listens every day. If you're like Emily and enjoy CityCast Denver, 
why not rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts? Looking for even more local news? Subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. It's like every, it's like eggs, bacon. I think it's like pancake. It's like a pile of breakfast. Again, the mass confusion, aka Monica's idea. I don't know who Monica is and I would still love to know. Monica, if you're listening, reach out.